track. That's our new going. <laughs> With we could do a three part harmony. How can we do then. going? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the musician sounded good. I sounded like a guttural. Can you auto tune me? <laughs> I'm gonna auto tune all of us. Is there an auto tune podcast if everybody is auto tuned? Yeah. Like whoever you talk yes. to is auto tuned. Yes. Yes, there is. There is. Which one, one of us will be? So auto-tuned? don't try to do one because there is one. Maybe that should be our, our shtick. We're in the middle of every interview. We just auto tune some. We should find one word that's always auto tuned. I tried to auto tune you many pa- podcasts ago. Like you were like it was one of the outros, and you were you were making some funny reference of like, wouldn't it be funny if you went back and auto tune me? But you have to have a little bit of pitch to make any to make the kind of wacky auto tune. No pitch at all. No, but I mean when you're talking. <laughs> but when you're talking, you have to be like you'd have to have said like, "Can you auto tune this?" It would have to have a little bit really? of like pitch reference instead of saying like "auto tune this." Like I, that wouldn't. I thought you could just hit a button and it was auto tune. Mm, that that would be more like a vocoder effect. Ah, shit! I don't know how it works. Yeah. So, like, because AutoTune looks for pitch, and then it, and then it, you know, then you, and then it allows you to change it or correct it. So, if there's not actually like a pitch reference, which you can speak without, I guess, I don't know how that works. So it would seem that everything has a certain pitch to it. That is odd. I know that if you go to, but a it didn't toy work. The end of my story. <laughs> I know that if you go to a toy store, you can get a T Pain microphone. Yeah, uh-huh. and speak through that and sound all T painful. You like that one? Very good. Nailed it. Uh, today's guest is one of Jonah's old friends who apparently we have a gazillion connections to. Ron Richards from the website and podcast iFanboy. Uh, Jonah just said, hey, uh, this dude I went to college with has this super nerdy comic book website. And my nerd sense started tingling and I checked it out. It's amazing. But it turns out he's knows all the like half the bands we've interviewed on the show. Yeah, he's a Long Island hardcore dude who, yeah, I've known since I was 18. And uh, he did an amazing zine called Muddle when I was doing my zine, Law of Inertia. And, uh, what, was, what was yours? Law of Inertia. Law of Inertia, which um, if anyone wants a Law of Inertia, I have boxes of them in my parents' basement I need to get rid of. And I will gladly, if you'll pay for postage, I will send them for free. So get in touch with me. Say, Jonah, that, say that again because that was funny. <laughs> oh man did i totally if you'll pay for postage i'll send them for free <laughs> which is true it will be free i meant for like you. i wouldn't charge anything for the magazine itself ah i got it oh that makes sense okay. uh maybe there's a little conflict but the they come with cd samplers and they come bundled they're perfect bound i mean we get they look pretty good but they come with a sticker i found them out to my parents that says jimmy Eat world bleed american and each one has one and like the cover so i'm like maybe this is worth something so many people are gonna ask for that because they stopped that. Can I, I have know. one? Yes. Have you seen his zine? <laughs> no. Okay. When he first showed me the zine, I remember zines from high school and college. It was just like, we went to Kinko's and stapled it and put this together. This looks like a magazine. Really? It does. It, yeah. It had, I mean, we had a lot of ads. Um, but yeah, it looks like a real magazine. They that, had that ads. Paid for like, it. who knew? <laughs> so you guys went and got it offset every every time you did it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the last couple looked really good. <laughs> I mean, I didn't start it. This guy, Ross Siegel, did it, and then we kind of worked on it together for a couple of years in college. But Ron was doing his zine at the time, and his zine was kind of an inspiration for us because his zine was kind of bigger and was really well-known, and uh, we kind of used as like a kind of template. Um, but yeah, I really miss zines and that culture, and we talk about that a lot on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, great thing. I, I just remember in, in high school, we had our newspaper called The Sage, and then someone started doing the underground sage. Hmm. And it was, you never knew who the, who the editor was. It was a secret. And then you find out and you're like, that's anticlimactic. <laughs> Wait, that just defined high school. Yeah. That was the whole thing. I don't know the whole thing. When you were touring, Brad, did you like get interviewed by zines? Well, you too. Oh uh, yeah, lots of times. Forever. It was f- always fun because it was so less formal and they usually came out way better and cooler and it was fun to hang out with the people. I yeah, there's a lot of zines. I have I I have a box full of like ones with Goop's interviews and stuff in them. Did you do that too with Love Kill? Like, no, uh, we didn't have a lot of press requests. <laughs> to be honest, I mean I did interviews once in a while, but never. I felt like also by the time I was doing that band, that culture had kind of a lot of stuff was moving onto the mm-hmm. internet. Like that was like that you know oh five. Like I felt like that was sort of the end. Good segue, Ron Richards. 
Fanzine now has an amazing website, iFanboy. From fanzine to fanboy. Literally. The Ron Richards story. Hey everyone, welcome to Going Off Track. This is Jonah. Hi, I'm Steven. And we are joined today by Ron Richards, who you may know from iFanboy or his amazing zine muddle. <laughs> I don't know if anybody still remembers that. Dude, I think people do. I feel like that. You know, it's, you know it. You know every zine. And you know the people who like the zine. So everyone you talk to would go, yeah, muddle's awesome. <laughs> In my world and social circle, yeah. law of inertia, muddle, like uh, punk planet, that stuff comes up all the time. Really? Yes. Oh, that's so weird. I feel like whenever, and well, thank you for having me. It's good to be of here. Of course. But um, yes, yeah, so whenever muddle comes up, it's always like, because it's been so long. I mean, it's going to be... What now? I think it's like ten years since our last issue. Whatever comes up, it's like it's like this weird reminder. It's like kind of being reminded. Like it's kind of like running into the kids you went to summer camp with, and be like, oh yeah, yeah, we were friends back when I was thirteen, and things are totally different. And everyone always speaks very highly of it, but I always think I think people don't. I think they they remember the idea of it and think fondly of the idea, but don't actually remember the execution, <laughs> which was kind of amateurish. But, <laughs> but I, still, I remember. So me and Ron went to college together ah. in Ithaca. Um, but you're, you were a couple years older than me, I think. Yeah, I think I was like two years ahead of you. Yeah. So he's basically met you at a whatever dudes show. <laughs> this was even like pre... I was in a rap group with Nick Tamburo <laughs> called really? the Whatever Dudes. Yeah, you may have caught the tail end of <laughs> there that. There are YouTube clips. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> there are YouTube clips. That, yeah. Um, but I remember I came to Ithaca and I was in a freshman dorm and uh, I met this guy, Jesse Mann, who was kind of a Long Island hardcore kid too and he took me to like see like discount play at like a house show and i was like this is like the coolest place ever and like there were all these shows at like houses i mean i saw like ink and dagger yeah like discount we had a a nice little scene in ithaca we had a very small uh, because that's the thing so i grew up on long island and i grew up and i was telling jonah before we started i i just listened to the episode of justin skirty i've known justin for since high school um so we all yeah yeah but we all grew up on the long island scene which was like when i left for college in 95 it was like right as long island was like it hadn't even peaked yet it was still climbing and um and you know we Artie Philly was booking these amazing shows and I had just helped book seven seconds at the venue I was booking for. And it's like, geez, seven seconds. Then I go to college and it's upstate New York and there's no, you know, like it's, it's, it was just like hit the brakes as hard as you can. There was one place where they did shows and there was maybe like 20 or 30 punk kids. And like, we just found when I remember when I started like that first weekend, I found Ryan Jones and we, and I was like, Oh, another straight edge kid. Awesome. And, 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 but that Ithaca scene was so tight and was so much fun and we did pretty good we had shows at least like every other weekend or so and like touring bands they'd come play syracuse and they play ithaca and then go play binghamton it was a nice little circuit what were you what were you studying at at ithaca Uh, i I majored in tv radio Uh um yeah no i went in um i go in and the high school i went to had a lot it was out on long island and uh there was a loco power plant in our town so all that property tax money went to the schools so i our high school had a decent like arts program so like senior year of high school i took like a film class instead of just like art like you could do specify what you want to do so i was like i'm gonna be a filmmaker i'm gonna be a next george lucas and then i went to ithaca and and i'm like all right well i'm not gonna do film but i'll do tv yeah and then i realized that i didn't want to be the guy behind the camera like because they're teaching you how to like work for cnn there and i was like i don't want to do that so i just changed my major to like media management and just a lot of bullshit courses and then and just you know made it through my four years and that's why i started the zine was because i was bored that's the exact same thing that happened to me and i felt like by the end i was spending more time on my zine than my actual school and i feel like i got a job because of the zine i got a job at ap because of the zine not because of a piece of paper well that's yeah that's yeah that's totally what happened was that was so like i go to college and i'm like all right well i'm into music i'm into tv and film stuff like that all right well the radio station freshmen can't have shows that was just the, the rule the freshmen could shadow the overnight shows and learn. And then if you're lucky when you're a sophomore, you got a show. So I'm like, all right, screw that. The TV station sucked. There was no film stuff. So I'm like, all right, well, I kind of like print. Like I, I, my whole thing is I can't play music. Like I can never play guitar. I can't, I tried, I tried to play drums. I can't do it, but I wanted to do something in, in the scene. And there was, I booked shows on Long Island. I was doing that before I went to college. So I'm like, all right, I'll book shows. But there was already a guy booking shows. And because that scene was so small, it was very, this is before you came, it was very competitive. Like if you tried to book shows, it would be like, oh, what are you doing? No, Anthony books the shows. I don't know if you know Anthony Fischetti. 
Do you remember him? No. Yeah. So Anthony was booking shows at Cornell. So it's the kind of thing where you know you don't. If you try to book a show, you're like going against Anthony. So just don't do it. So I'm like, all right, well, I can't book shows. And then I met Dave Brown. What he would do? Frown at you? Yeah. Well, no. You think to Cornell and throw a book at you? Yeah. No. People. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. But they wouldn't. Uh, we used to. Uh, yeah. Anyway. But. Um, <laughs> but. Um, uh, no, it just, it just, people wouldn't come and it was just, a, it was a weird social thing. It was like a very, cause they, they had already established a thing and they were very, you know, kind of closed off to newcomers. And so me being a dumb kid coming in going, well, I'm going to book a show. Like you very quickly realized, okay, that's not cool. Just kind of, you know, earn your spot before you try to, you know, take over, I guess, you know, but, um, but so I met Dave Brown and he was doing, he, he was doing a zine called thirsty, which was just copy and paste kind of crappy and i was like well i want to do zine and so i'm like cool i'll do that in my dorm room and he's like all right well i'm doing one too so why don't we do like a flip zine and i'm like all right cool so his was going to be one half mine would be one half and then as we were working on it we're like well why don't we just join forces and do a new zine and so that's how muddle was born and that's why the first issue was issue number seven because dave was on issue seven so we didn't do an issue number one we just picked up his numbering so and that way it looked like we were established looked like we've been around for a while uh, and then i just spent every minute you remember, remember i was just working away in my dorm room nonstop for four years and you know so it started off at 32 pages and like you know i think a thousand print run and when we stopped doing it in 2002 it was like a twenty thousand print run for where would you cover. print it uh at first there was a lo- we went to like the local ithaca times uh local paper guy and he hooked us up and printed it for us and then um i found for free like where do you no no go? we paid yeah, yeah. We, we paid out of our pocket basically wow. yeah. yeah what we did was we we offered a bunch of ads to record labels we knew so it looked like to again to establish ourselves uh-huh. and then we paid out of pocket to get the first issue printed and then the next issue we started charging for ads and 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 it worked and every issue paid for itself like it never like i never had to pay out of pocket again so which is crazy it's like but. different than every zine from when i was in high school which was usually just photocopied stapled together there were no ads yeah well that, that was yeah. my thing that was my thing it was like if i'm gonna do this like i could easily go to kinko's like we had to do that worked at kinko's so we could easily go and on the overnight and make as many copies as you want and do the kinko's thing but i'm like no if i'm gonna do this i want to print i want to do it real i want to get it like printed on newsprint and like get it binded and do everything that we could and so like I guess what made it different than other zines was that I approached it with that business idea where it's like, okay, well, if I, I need $3,000 to pay for this printing, so I need to sell $3,000 worth of ads. And I just picked up the phone and called every record label and sold half-page ads for 50 bucks a piece and bartered and did everything we could, um, you know, and it worked. So yeah. You're so incredibly more motivated in college than I've ever been in my life. Straight edge. <laughs> you have a lot of time on your hands when everyone uh, else is drunk. <laughs> are you still straight edge? No, no, okay. not anymore. <laughs> what, 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 when did you stop? What, how old were you? I was 28 or so. Oh, wow. You went yeah. past the 22 Yeah, no, I did line. probably, I did maybe 15 years total or so, oh. like around there, like 13 or 15 I love how it's like doing time. I, I only made it to yeah. sophomore year. Did you break edge in yeah, college? Yeah, for oh, sure. Oh, I had no idea. See, I thought you went the whole time. No, oh. no, not even close. I was oh. like, t- right before, I was like 20 or something, yeah. 19 oh. or 20, yeah, and I was staying at uh, my, my friend Bruce's, he was living, and he was like out of town, and he had a mini fridge full of Zima. No. And I remember. Tell me, no, the, you broke edge on Zima. Yeah. I not only broke edge on Zima, it was like this. It sounds so stupid now. I would pick it up and look at it, and then I'd open it, and then I'd put it back, and yeah. then I'd like 10 minutes later open it again and look at it. It was like this huge moment for me. Like, it was like, once you do this, you can never go back. Yeah. And then I did it, and I was like, that wasn't that it, big of a deal. Isn't that so weird? I did the same damn thing in school. I was 22. And I, I remember I was taking this class, you know, it was a very cool open studio class where it was like they got people from all different mediums together. Yeah. I remember like my first piece was I wore like a straight edge shirt and I wore, no, I wore a straight edge, I wore a railhead shirt <laughs> and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, um, and I drew X's on my hands and I just sat, lit a candle, stared at a beer and like played like recordings of people talking about drinking and stuff like it's not a big deal you know and all this stuff and that was like my whole thing and everyone's like oh my god it's amazing and at the end i open the beer and the lights go out you know it's so <laughs> stupid it's so dumb you know and then i, I then it happened to me like i joined a band yeah <laughs> you know for, well for me like well i got out of co- i mean i guess technically i broke edge like 22 or 23 because i got out of college and moved to connecticut to work at an internet like a uh, 
ad agency and, and I was just trying you. to fit in and so I'm like all right well I'm out of college this this is a different part of my life right and I like I remember I had like one beer I'm like oh I don't like this and so then and then I stopped and I was just I stuck with the straighters thing but then um then you know then life goes on and I got married and then that fell apart and got divorced and then I went out to San Francisco and I was hanging out at this comic book store that that became my friends in San Francisco and the the owner just turned to me is like hey you want a cocktail and I remember the moment I was like, no one here knows who I am. No one here knows my history. No one knows that I'm straight edge. So I just went, sure, I'll have a cocktail. And in San Francisco, I just was never a straight edge. Like I just, I just had a cocktail and then that was it. And I always, when I th- thought about it, I, I always go back to, I interviewed Dave Smalley once for the zine for Muddle when he was in Down by Law. And so this has had to been after punk rock academy fight song like right after that record so like 90s, all scratched up was it before all scratched? before all scratched up okay. so i think it was on the punk rock academy fight song tour okay. it might have been or no the the second tour after that I, I don't know but it was before all scratched up it was when they when they were selling epitaph okay and now this is dave smalley this is like dag nasty dys like whatever in my head i've never seen I, i'd never seen down by law no i had seen them i saw down by law play at cbgb's um but i didn't really interact with dave smalley i didn't talk to him i wasn't doing the zine yet that was like in 95 and then, um, so I go through Epitaph, the press agent, book the time, okay, at you know, 6.30, go to the tour, go to the van, he'll come out, he'll do the interview. And now, in my head, I just have that picture from the, from the Dag Nasty record of him singing with the True to Death tattoo. And this is like one of my straight edge gods. I mean, it's like Ian MacKay, um, you know, uh, Dave Smalley, who else? I, I assumed all the Gorilla Biscuits, but, you know, now, now I have learned otherwise. <laughs> but anyway, um, and he, the, the doors of the van open, of the it was like a, it was like a mini tour bus. The doors of the bus open, and there's Dave Smalley with a beer and a six pack under his, under his arm, and he goes, "Okay, where are we doing this?" And I was just shattered. I was just like, "Oh God!" And so, and like this is like the and it's, I always look. I remember this for two reasons: one, because of the straightish thing, and because of like this is also the moment that I got my journalistic balls because I'm interviewing him and I'm asking about the record and all this kind of stuff. And then I finally said, "Listen, I gotta ask you." I go, I, I, "You're drinking beer." You know, I th- what happened to his true till death? And, and he laughed and he just, he just, he took a swig out of his beer and he said, you know, I helped write the book on straight edge. And part of that means that I could close it whenever I wanted to. And I was like, all right, well, right on. And it made sense because it was like, and then he, <laughs> then he went on to explain. He's like, he's like, yeah, no, I don't get, he's like, I don't get hammered. I don't fuck with guys. I don't beat them up or anything like that. He's like, I learned a lot. I was immensely productive during my straight edge years. And, you know, it was an important part of my life. But now I'm, he's like, I'm 35 and I want to have a beer. And so that's, that's cool. And so that, I've always kind of took that and adopted that with my kind of breaking edge story, you know, because that's a good way to approach. Yeah. I would have been like, I don't have to explain myself to a teenager. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. Well, I didn't challenge him, but I was just like, Right, I'm like, right, I'm like, no, right. I'm like, listen, I'm straight edge. Totally. You, you're one of the reasons why. No, I think that's cool. He could have been a dick, but he was totally. really cool about it. Yeah, so that's I just, awesome. Yeah. I uh, do you find yourself nostalgic for the zine era in general? Because I feel like there's something about blogs and all that stuff and it yep. moving onto the internet that makes sense and whatever. It's easier, more accessible. But to me, there's something about it. I don't know if it's just a nostalgic because it's a past time in my life or if there's something inherent about the medium well i mean I, I get confused because i'm i'm you know me i mean i'm sitting here in a texas of the reason sweat hoodie like i'm i'm nostalgic for the whole thing i mean like it, honestly if i could go back and i always I say, point out i'm wearing a neil gaiman yeah. shirt well and i'm wearing a skateboarding shirt that's ripping off a bad brain <laughs> so. <laughs> but no but if i could i mean if i could you know get the delorean and go back I've said it a million times. I would go back to 1995 and and live until 1999. Like those four years were just awesome. And for me, the zine was so tied into it. And yeah, I agree with you. I mean, like it's funny how the internet and I, I, we often I, we've talked about this. What like if we had social networking, all this stuff, what we have now back then, what would have been like? And it's amazing because as closer as it brings everyone, and as easy as it is to you know tweet at your favorite singer and all this sort of stuff. I at least I haven't because I, I just chalk it up that I'm old and I don't go you know I'm not involved in a scene or anything more. I haven't experienced the community like we had in the '90s you know with with hardcore and and all that culture like like I've, I've never experienced anything like that. Like there was a time with doing the zine where I mapped where I could pretty much travel cross country just based on people that I made contact with through the zine, just mailing it to people. Then like mail like we would mail letters back and forth and mail records and all this. Stuff. I John Yates the guy who designed the 
the Lifetime Hello Bastards record. He did steel. He did Steelworks. He lives in San Francisco. Um, he did at the time. We, we we traded Star Wars figures. I never met the dude. Like it's just like he sent me his records. I sent him Which my zine. Which ones did you trade? Um, I he needed the Boba Fett with the speckle backpack. I don't know if you remember that there was like a no. like it had the black specks, and so I sent him that, and then he sent me. Oh, some it was a ship. It was one of like the Empire ships. It was like one of the like a small set or something like that. I forget which See, one. I it remember was. the Boba Fett when he first came out that they had the dart that shot. Yeah, and then some kids swallowed one sadly yeah. and and perished. It's dangerous. And, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. dangerous. They changed it and they made and I never and I didn't get that one. I yeah. think that was a proof of purchase one. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think we're bleeding into the territory now. <laughs> well, yeah. So this is interesting. Is yeah, I don't know anything about any of the comic stuff, but yeah. Steven's an expert on that. So I think it's interesting that no. we have this whole relationship and we're, we went. To Detroit Fest together. Yep. When Ron had a promo of Jimmy Eat World Clarity before it came out. And I remember driving there and Ron being like, everyone's like, this is like so commercial sounding. Like, no one's going to like this. <laughs> like, I felt like we were like, oh, they're on a major label now, whatever. And then it turned out to be like, now that's like their credible record. Yep. And like, this. That's, that's the one that they, they do the 10 year anniversary yeah, exactly. tour for. And all. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it was funny. It was like, so just like the other day, I was listening to the new Texas, the recent tracks on there, like the press, you know, the press digital media kit or whatever. And I was just, I was IMing with a buddy of mine. And I was just like, man, I remember getting the advance of Texas's album, the cassette. I think I still have it. I think it's at my parents. I should dig it up. But it had like a black cover with the white Texas logo and like revelation. And it's like not, you know, like review copy. Right. And I just remember like getting that in the mail and just like listening to that tape over and over again. And like to the point where the ink on the tape got all smudged and it was, yeah, it was. Like, you think a lot of that nostalgia is. I mean, it's it's true and app and right, but it's at that moment in your life. A lot of people's nostalgia I know is from listening to, uh, you know, a lot of podcasts and reading a lot of books and things is around that time period in your yeah. life. You know, it's your. I read that book. This is your brain on music. And it's about when you're forming synapses mm-hmm. around that age and you're making connections. You associate. Because I often tell people like the reason that you know a lot of you know these poppy bands we think are crap is and kids like them is because. Your ears haven't been on the planet that Absolutely. long. Yeah, you know yeah. for I mean? sure, for yeah. sure. So you're having that great moment because I remember, um, I remember that time period, and I'm a little older, but I remember you know going to shows and things. But I was you know also uh, not as motivated, so I was just trying to work to get, yeah. to eat and stuff, you know. But I was going to a lot of. Um, I wouldn't even say I never even felt the scene. I just remember going to shows and then going home. But I never. Well, that's the, the and I always and looking back on it, I always say that that at least I was immensely spoiled because I had you know nearly 10 years of two great scenes to be involved in which is more than anybody you know like you know some people are lucky if they get one scene you know but then and even i'll go even further saying that i got to participate in three scenes because what happened was is that first i was on long island and the stuff that happened on long island was just amazing like what what we did with the PWAC and and the the other venues that were there and the sense of community was just it was just it, it, like nothing it, well, I won't say it's like nothing, but very few things in my life have come close to how great that was. Where like every week you went to the show and there was everyone was there and everyone knew your name and everybody was happy to be there. I remember one of my earliest shows I went to at the PWAC and I was like, it was all new to me. And I was trying to be all Mr. Cool Guy. I was like 15 years old and whatever. And, and I was standing there with, uh, with a girl um, that was a friend of mine. And a kid, like a bunch of kids ran by with like a basketball and they were playing basketball. And I was, and I'm like, oh, who brought the kids? You know, they were like 11 or 12. <laughs> and she looked at me. She's like, how do you think the scene will keep going if we don't bring the kids along? Like that's so-and-so's little brother. That's so-and-so's little sister. And I was like, oh, like it was that moment of like, this is more than just tonight. This is, this is kind of a thing. Um, and then going up to Ithaca and having a similar thing. But then doing the zine and being involved in that, but on a macro scale or across the country where you had this network of people doing other people doing zines, other people doing photography, other people doing record labels and helping each other out. And Detroit was really like the Detroit Fest was really a culmination of that because, I mean, that fest was just like mind blowing because it was this all these people that I had mailed letters to and listened to seven inches of just all hanging out for a weekend. And, and you know, was were you there the year that the Foursquare game happened? When we start. We set up a four square game in the parking yes. lot on Saturday, and it went on for like twelve hours. It just kept on playing. People kept on playing. Yes. Yeah, it, it was just it was just magic. And I think part and, of that nostalgia is is that it's that first moment that you experience something like that, and that memory becomes so rich, and then it mm-hmm. becomes the thing you compare everything to. 
So, you know. But, but it's true. Like, yeah. if that happened now, like, mm-hmm. and you set up a four-star game, everyone would be on their phones. Yep, exactly. Like, I mean, I do feel like the technology is socially based, but it is very isolating. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's... But the, those people are going to look at this time as how awesome that was. We were checking. Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because it's their first exposure. But but for but for us, I mean, like, it's funny because people, like, people, you know, post photos and, and all this sort of stuff, and they're remembering the moment. But we were, like, not, not to... I sound so old, but we were, like, living in that moment. I mean, it was yeah, but like... but if you also had a yeah. camera, you know, yeah. and you're a photographer, you're essentially doing the same thing. You just didn't get to look at the moments till you know, a few days yeah. later, you yeah. know? I've and always, if you're a writer, you... And I, I think about this a lot. Like, if you're a writer and you're watching a show... Um, and I'm sure, Johnny, you deal with this a lot. Or you probably did with the zine. Mm-hmm. If you're watching a show, and like, I'm really here experiencing this, but I have to fucking remember this so yep. I can write right, it later, right. which is also, people can say, a detractor from the moment. So I do think it's, like, as much as I don't like watching people stare through a phone at a show wow. the whole time, it's like, it, it is well, up to them. That's why a couple of years ago, I started bringing one of those little, it's not a little Kodak kind of flip cam mm. and to every show I go to now because I've been to so many shows like I wish like if I can go back in time and tell 15 year old Ron to write down every show you go to because I don't remember I mean like there, right. like there I'll see pictures pop up on Facebook of shows that I'm in the photo and I don't remember it at all. Like videos, like we found videos of old silent majority shows on Long Island where you can see me dancing and I have no recollection of that night at all. And so what I wanted to do now is, so I take, I bring this little video camera and I get like two or three songs from each show. And so now I have that moment captured and I can relive it and I can, re, you know, remember it and, and hopefully remember what was going on that night. And, you know, and sure now it's the wedding present and, you know, Morrissey and, right, you know, right. and, and like lame stuff, you know, but <laughs> well, I feel like my issue, and this is just me personally is yeah. I feel like sometimes it's like an ego thing with me. And I've talked about this before. Like I'll take a photo cause I'm like, and I'll take it and it'll be like a shitty photo of a band. I'm yeah. like, I'm just posting this so people know that I'm that here. Yeah. And like, that's like a weird thing too, especially when you sort of are doing it subconsciously. And then I'm like, yeah. this photo is terrible. Why am I posting this? Oh, wait. Well, so- that, that happens a lot in the comic. So I'm very, act- I'm very active in, com- in the comic book stuff because of my website. And that actually is very similar to the music scene because there is a comic book scene that exists at the conventions and, and at the, the people doing other websites and other people working at the companies. And so it's, it's very very similar. I think that's one of the reasons why I've been able to have so much fun for the past six years doing that. But people do that all the time where you'll be at a convention and then you go to the after party and people are like, oh my God, great time with, and like name drop like five or six right. people. Remember how we used to make fun of people for name dropping like back in the day? Like it would be like, you know, and I did it too. Like, oh yeah, I talked to, you like know, I talked so to Bob from, from Braid today. Yeah, Elizabeth and like, from Sarge. Yeah, yeah. And people would be like, oh, you dropped something. <laughs> yeah, right. Ow, my feet hurt. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, so, Ron, that yeah. was a perfect transition. Yeah, yeah so it was a beautiful <laughs> transition. So <laughs> so how did so you're you're do doing a zine you head out to San Francisco hey cocktails um, and then uh, what were you doing to survive were you were you like uh, doing media stuff like you said how did you go from yeah no I've always been able to I've been I've always been able to. I keep a job from the moment I graduated college. Um, actually, like a month before college graduation, my dad called me. I come from Long Island, Italian family. My dad calls me, never would call me. Like, just, just never, never did. Calls me at college and he's like, hey, you know, how's it going? I'm like, good. He's like, you getting ready for graduation? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's in a month. He's like, so what are you going to do afterwards? I said, well, I'm going to, you know, come home and look for a job and, you know, get on with life. And he goes, okay, that's good. He's like, well, now, you know, you, your mother and I love you and you're welcome to come home and do whatever you need to, but you might want to find a job before graduation. And I was like, well, yeah, if I can, but I'm going to enjoy this month. And he goes, no, no, you might want to try to find one, at least try, you know? And what I, and then I quickly realized, I'm like, oh, he's telling me not to come home. And he didn't say the words, and he said, you're always welcome here, but he made it very clear that you're done, get on with it. And so I hung up the phone and went right to the internet and was looking for jobs, and I scored a job like three weeks before graduation at this ad agency. Um, I taught myself how to code. I taught myself HTML, JavaScript, all this stuff again. Again, motivated people that I love. Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea how much time we spent in the dorm rooms doing nothing. <laughs> He's either playing Quaker. I was straight edge too. I, I didn't do anything. Yeah. Well, so I, well, my pro- my whole thing is that I, I, I come up with a question in my head that I want to answer. So the question was like, oh, I wonder how you do a zine. So I answered it by doing a zine. And then it was like, oh, well, the zine needs a website. I wonder how you do that. So I taught myself how to code. And I did that too. Then I'd go back to uh-huh. playing, you know, Snake on my, yeah. you know, Mac. <laughs> 
Well, so anyway, so I I was able to get that job, and then I so I moved to Connecticut right after college, and and worked there for three years, and then went to another job. I worked for Starwood Hotels for seven years. Um, I ran the websites for like W Hotels and Weston and stuff like that, and then um, and then got a gig out at a startup in San Francisco in '07. Moved out to San Francisco, and then got another gig, and it just you know. Goes when did you come there. back here? Um, well, I I still live in San Francisco, and I I bounce between New York and San Francisco. I come back to New York about Good every heavens. every two months or so. Yeah, All right so on. my family's here and stuff like that. So, yeah. were you always into comics? I mean, how did the iFanboy thing kind of come about? Yeah, so the the iFanboy thing was just the, the same thing where it was. So I've I've gotten to comics like in fifth grade or so. Um, in home ec class, the dude next to me was reading a copy of Excalibur which was a offshoot of the X-Men and it had all the X-Men in it. And so he, he showed me, Oh, that's Wolverine and that's rogue. And I was, and then I went right to the, the drugstore and I bought like Warren Ellis read a bunch of Excalibur. Oh, cool. Yeah. But this is like, this was issue 18, I think, or 19. It it started off with all the, um, one, I was around when it came out. Yeah. And two, I'm in the middle of, uh, untold history of Marvel Comics right now. Oh, Sean, Sean's book. Yeah, yeah. That, that, oh, that book is amazing. I it's, couldn't put it down. Yeah. It's killing me. Yeah, it was great. Uh, we'll discuss it. Yeah. Sean. <laughs> we, we, we want to get Sean in here actually. Oh, you should. Yeah, 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 he's great. Yeah, no, I got I got the advanced copy of that in August and and because oh. I, I wrote a review for it, but like it was literally like I was bringing my tablet everywhere because I couldn't stop reading. I was like on the bus and I was yeah. Dude, was I, just, that's like got me here. That's why my trip was so quick. <laughs> so, um, so you uh, you got into comics in, like fifth grade. Yeah, and, and then and there's always collected them, and there there was an undercurrent of. Of comics in hardcore. I mean, like I remember Artie Philly turned me on to uh, Preacher and to a bunch of Vertigo stuff and all that sort of thing. So, so there was always there was always like a a section of comics people who who of hardcore people who were into comics stuck with it through college and i happened to meet uh a bunch of other guys who were into comics not necessarily into hardcore but guys who were in my classes things like that and then we graduated college and we went our separate ways and for whatever reason someone started an email chain where every wednesday when the new books would come out these guys who we met in college we would all write oh here are the books i got here's what i thought of them and this went on for about six months and it was a lot of fun it got to the point where i was like i was excited to read my comics and then tell the guys what i thought of them and debate whether green arrow sucked or not and all this sort of thing and working at a internet agency in 99 with all the dot coms and all that stuff i was like we should take this email list and make a website and then instead of doing it over email all of our friends could talk about comics on the website so me and two two guys, Josh and Connor, uh, went in on it. And we came up with the name iFanboy, which is the worst name ever. I wish I can go back in time and change it. That means it's it, going to be successful yeah, continuously. Yes, that's true. Yeah. Um, just like Muddle. Muddle was the worst name ever. Muddle was literally, we named the zine at 3 a.m. in Kinko's with a thesaurus where I'm looking up for words uh, that mean confused. And I'm like, what about Muddle? And I'm like, all right, yeah, let's do it. Awful name, awful name. Anyway, um, but uh, so yeah, so we launched the site and we sent it to our friends. We're like, what hey, year? What year was this? This is like two thousand one now. Wow! And wow. so, so we launched the site. Tell the guys in the email list: no more email. Go to the website. And this is the kicker. So in two thousand one, ifanboy.com was a site that um, I kind of architected and another dude coded for me. And I I expect out how it should work. You could go and you can create an account. That account gave you a profile page. On that profile page, you could customize the content that it showed on there so you could write what comics are into. And then you could connect to your friends and say, okay, Jonah's my friend and, and all that sort of stuff. So I essentially invented a social network in 2001 before Friendster, before MySpace, before Facebook. But it was for comics and nobody cared and nobody used it. Like nobody ever. So, used what are it, you yeah. asking us to get you? <laughs> I know, yeah, a time machine. What <laughs> can we do for you, Ron? Here, but um, yeah, and so so that site went on until like '03, and then the the developer I worked with went MIA, and the server crashed, and it was like two weeks before San Diego Comic Con or like the big time, and we were going to San Diego, so I panicked and I just I threw up a blog and redid the design and threw up like movable type and just changed the site to be that. And abandoned the social network thing because nobody used the site. I mean, like nobody was using it. Um, and then we just carried the blog because blogs were hot and that sort of thing. But, but someone um, used that yeah. Friendster type site. <laughs> I know, exactly. And someone went on to do something else. Yeah, missed opportunity. But, um, you know, but so we, we did the site from 01 until 06 and like literally nobody cared. Like you would load the website, you could hear crickets. I mean, it was just empty. And then, um, and then in the November of 05, um, I was just curious as to, I was listening to podcasts and I was like, you know, this is cool. I want to do one. 
what can I talk about? Oh, I've got this comic website. So I talked Josh and Connor into getting on Skype and recorded the conversation and started doing our podcast. And it was the best marketing thing I ever did were because people, we launched it in November of 05. And then in June of 06, Apple uh, added podcast support to iTunes and the iPods. And people found the podcast and we said, go to the website. And people went to the website and then just traffic just started going up. And so it was just a, a dumb mistake just because I was curious. And then... You had a question that yep. you wanted to answer. Yeah, exactly. And so now now we're like one of the top five uh, comic websites. And the, and as far as I know, the number one podcast uh, in iTunes about comics. And wow. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's it's in the past six years. We've How just does been one get people to listen to a podcast? We've been discussing this. <laughs> well, it's obviously a, having Ron on, this yeah. is going to be a big spike yeah. for us. Well, it's a lot different now than it was then. I mean, back then it was literally right place, right time. I mean, mm-hmm. if 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 I had started that podcast a year later, we wouldn't have nearly gotten the traction we did. Mm-hmm. And also, I'll give my my secret was that I went to a party in San Francisco and I happened to meet the dude who ran the podcast section in iTunes <laughs> and struck up a friendship. And 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 that's the one key. That's the one thing I tell everybody is don't if you meet someone who is someone of means who could potentially help you, never ask them to help you. Just be friends. Yeah. And eventually they'll want to help you. And so like I befriended this guy. Months we're just chatting, talking, stuff like that. And he's like, oh, hey, you do a podcast, right? He's like, hey, send me the logo. I'll put a banner up. And I was like, great. And then, you know, the downloads started coming. So, um, is, that, is, yeah. is, is iFanboy like full time for you now? Um, so kind of, sort of. It's been, ba- I mean, it's been bouncing around full time um, for a couple of years. So in 07, Josh and Connor, my two partners, went full time on it. Um, and I was still working because I was working at a... a Don't worry, I'm going to share my Hershey's Kisses with you guys. <laughs> I'm very hungry. But um, So they went full-time, and then we sold the website to a, a company, to a startup in 2010, and then I went full-time, started working for that company, and then we actually, just now, two years later, are getting iFanboy back from that company and going independent again. So we're kind of figuring out whether it's going to stay full-time or not. We're you know, doing all the business stuff. To one one of those out. fun things. Yeah. Now, what do you... Jonah mentioned you to me, and I was like, oh, let me check this stuff out. I'm like, holy shit, this thing is huge. This is yeah. great. And then I saw... I can't remember the book, but it was you had a line on the back of a comic. Okay. And it's talking about iFanboy says this, that, and the other thing. I'm like, well, shit, this is a comic I like. This is, you know, a writer I enjoy. This is great. Let's get him on the damn podcast. Who are your guys? Like you said, you started in fifth grade with Excalibur. Yep. X-Men is usually a fine launching point yep. for people. Uh, who are you into and who are you into now? Um, well, what got me in was X-Men. I mean, Chris, uh, Chris Claremont. All the way, um, the go, going back to the John Byrne, you know Paul Smith, the, the Chris Claremont Paul Smith stuff is my mm. favorite. Like the uh, stuff, so good. Um, and then Jim Lee and all the Image guys, like, and that was right when I got into it. it was early '90s, so like McFarlane, Liefeld, Larson, like all those dudes. Um, that pretty much carried me through the '90s. I wouldn't say I really was a good comic reader through the '90s. I just kind of stuck to my X Men stuff. But then when I hit college, I started by getting, saying sticking to your X Men stuff. That's about eight books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, at the time it was. Uncanny, Adjectiveless, X Factor, um, whatever solo series, Wolverine, X-Men, Excalibur, X-Force, Wolverine, yeah, X-Force, yeah, yeah. Gambit miniseries, yeah, all that crap. X Babies was one, yeah. Executioners was one. <laughs> but I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. It was great. But then I hit college and I started getting into more indie stuff. I started discovering like black and white stuff. So like Love and Rockets and Bone and Strangers in Paradise and stuff like that. And then, um, and then once the 2000s hit, uh, guys like Bendis um, and Brubaker and like the kind of that early 2000s class that came up that really kind of, you know, comics was really exciting in early 2000s because it went from a really dark, shitty period when, you know, Marvel almost went bankrupt and... They did go bankrupt. Yeah, yeah, they did go bankrupt, yeah, but they almost went out of business completely, Mm -hmm. but, you know, and Casada and what they were doing and kind of relaunching the company and and then at the same time there was this, like, beginning bubbling of creativity over an image and Bendis was doing powers there and it was kind of... Bendis started out in Mm -hmm. Caliber. Yeah, yeah, back way and, with Jenks and, and all that and, stuff. Because uh, yeah. I remember I just moved to L.A. in 95, and I went to uh, Golden Apple's now defunct store in yep. the Valley. And I was just looking. They had all the stuff. And then I saw they had a you know, news rack, and there was this book that said, A.K.A. Goldfish. Yeah. Like, this looks interesting. And snagged that, and I was like, this guy's awesome. Yeah, you it's know? great. Yeah. Really, 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 really great. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, then, and then now... Um, Right now, pretty much anything that 
Rick Remender, Jonathan Hickman, or Jason Aaron, right? Remender's great, and he's a freaking, he's like you, he's a punk dude from California. Well, it's funny, I literally just talked to him yesterday, I was going to say that, there's there's a, there's a, we kind of joke about it, but there's like a mini hardcore punk mafia inside of comics, where there's a bunch of dudes who all came up the same way we did, who all work in comics. What was his, what was his indie comic? Oh, which one? The Remender's, um... Well, Fear Agent just came out with the the, the sci-fi one. Just came one. Out the it's library like, it's edition. like it was first one. Blackheart Billy. That's it. Yep. Yep. The the, the robot punk skate punk. Yeah, because yeah. this guy's done like no effects covers. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. No, he, yeah. He used to work at Fat Rack. He was a graphic designer for Fat Rack, yeah. and yeah. yeah, yeah. He and and so the comic I mentioned, he he did a sci-fi comic called Fear Agent, which wrapped last year, and they just kind mm-hmm. of collected it. The name Fear Agent came because he had a Fear CD on top of Agent Orange. And just saw Fear Agent, and, and so named it that way. I had no but, idea that was him. I just yeah. someone someone recommended recommended to me, and I'm I'm now at the point in my life where I don't read yeah. issues. I haven't for years. I just yeah. wait. someone called me a trade waiter yep. once. And that is like, a term. Like that's an awful term. I know it's like it's such a negative kind of connotation to it. <laughs> but I'm also lazy, and I don't want to read yeah. you know twelve pages anymore. How many in a yeah. comic? Twenty four pages anymore, and, and wait for another month. You know, right. I did that. I was a kid. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And now if I'm going to sit and read Saga, which is ridiculously so good, good. Right? yeah, good sci-fi, really good. Book. Yeah. Brian K. Vaughn, some yeah. Why the Last Man. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's so good. And it's, it's it's like not even fair how good it is. It's, like it's yeah, it's literally that. It's yeah. it's one of the. I look at comics the way I look at records. If I listen to it more than once because I just can't stop listening to it, it's yeah. a great record, you know. And this I've read Saga like three or four times. Now. Yeah, it's so amazing. Yeah, it's good stuff. You get kind of mad at him. You're just like, damn. Oh yeah, no. I mean, it's uh, Brian Kavon is ridiculously talented, and just the fact yeah. that he he left comics to go work on Lo- he worked on Lost. And right. The, epi- mo- the good episodes stuff. of Lost. Yeah, and he's been doing mo- he's been doing script doctoring and stuff like that, and and then he came back and dropped this bomb in our laps the, earlier this year, and I, I saw him. And I was like, how 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 is it this good? I've never met him. Yeah, no, he's really cool. He's a good dude. But, I'm surprised um, our paths haven't crossed sooner because I just started working for MTV Geek this past year. Oh, cool. Doing all their convention coverage and the people who work at mtv geek are awesome like i've never worked with a crew like that outside of what jonah and i did um at fuse um people who legitimately like this stuff and and know the people you know and they're all such diehard fans and love what they do over there um and whoever comes in to talk to they're like oh this is rick remender you know they know him you know or this is this is grant morrison you know and you sit down and talk all these people i'm sure you know i've spoken to people that i only know of from reading for years yeah. and it took every ounce of self-control for me not to go to grant morrison dude explain invisibles because i just don't i well, tried the, the thing is is that you the thing is he he, he will like and, and that's the i so i i actually collaborated with grant i put on a convention this past september called uh called morrison con you did that yeah yeah that was we one, talked I, about I, I, that one, mtv geek gerard way showed up yeah yeah gerard was there yeah yeah it was yeah, yeah i didn't was, know you did morrison con okay yeah. so all right so <laughs> we gotta we gotta punch up this interview that i did on mtv geek because that was we launched out and he yeah. said he you know said these guys wanted to do it i'm pretty sure he name checked you yeah. and uh he said i'll never do it again yeah, that, that's the whole, the whole idea was that yeah. it's a once this once in a lifetime. Basically, what I wanted to do was because um, comic book conventions are so inhuman. I mean, like yeah. if you saw the New York one this year, I don't know if you went to, went to it or not, but no. it was like one hundred and twenty thousand people. San Diego is one hundred and fifty thousand people. The one in Chicago gets you know the one in Seattle gets forty thousand people now, which is huge for I Seattle. Heard the Denver one's getting big. Yeah, Denver's getting big. So like they're just getting huge. And while that's great for like fandom and all that sort of stuff, for the com- the diehard comic fan, it kind of sucks. You kind of don't get to see the people you want to see. You got to wait two hours in line to get one book signed. And you don't even get to talk to the creator. Um, and so two things made me, made me think of, there's gotta be a better way to do it. The first is the comic shop that I shop at in San Francisco is a shop called Isotope. And the guy who runs it, um, modeled it after, a, as opposed to the comic book store, which is, you know, you say comic book store and you think of the, the Simpsons or the, you know, the, uh, downstairs long, you know, the long cardboard boxes and a dusty and action figures everywhere and, you know, whatever negative connotations. Um, but James at Isotope designed his store after like a lady's shoe store. So it's like painted white and it's got nice red and white leather couches and like, and it's very minimal in terms of the shelving and he doesn't carry any action figures, any of that stuff. It's just, it's, 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 he calls it the comic book lounge and it's totally awesome. And instead of having creators to the store to do like autograph signings where that's the standard thing where it's Saturday from two to five and there's a dude sitting at a table and there's a line out the door, he throws parties. 
And so Saturday night at 8 o'clock, come to Isotope, and the creator that you want to see will be there, and he'll be behind the counter signing books, but there's also cocktails, and there's also music playing, and people dancing, and very kind of cool scene. So that's, my, that's where I hang out in San Francisco. Me too. Then, then uh, yeah, you should come. It's awesome. Then at the same time in '08, I went to All Tomorrow's Party up at uh, up in the Catskills when My Bloody Valentine played, and I'd never done. I mean, I'd never done an ATP event before. I had read about it. I didn't really know what to expect. But that was like a weekend of like summer camp. It was just like up in the mountains with all people, with three thousand people who liked the same kind of music. I was in a room with fifty people watching Bob Mould play Husker Du songs, and like, and you know, it was it was amazing. And so I thought, wow, if, if what James is doing at Isotope and what they're doing at ATP, we kind of merged that and made that into like a comics weekend. That'd be really cool. And so I collaborated with James and his girlfriend Kirsten, who run the shop, and said we should do this this kind of event. And we said, and we should find a creator to like help curate it, kind of like how Money, My Bloody Valentine curated the ATP event. And they were like Grant Grant Morrison, like he's somebody who has this vision. And so we we pitched it to Grant, and him and his uh, awesome uh, wife Kristen were like, yeah, let's do it. And so Grant worked with us to curate it. We picked nine other creators and limited it to like you know five hundred people to attend, and it was a weekend in Vegas where like basically people's lives were changed like people like it was amazing it was like kind of like the Detroit Fest the, that that level of a weekend where it's like people are like I'm never going to forget this people and you had a Scottish to English translator so you could understand I could, actually once you talk to him enough <laughs> you can understand him his accent but, is so thick it's really awesome but what was great was that he, he spent hours up on stage talking to fans mm-hmm. explaining his process explaining how he writes explain, talking about stuff we had autograph sessions everyone got to meet people Gerard said it was the best event he's had with fans his fans ever like he he got to meet and hang out with his fans and and like it was totally cool everyone was respectful it was just uh it was crazy it was just and but it could but it could only happen once like we'll never try to replicate it yeah but you could and you could do it with another creator exactly that's that's what we're that's what we're (laughs) that's what we're scheming have you ever thought of that idea yes we have (laughs) there's a business to you can't replicate replicate it it with grant that's the thing yeah exactly yeah this sounds like how um like how punk rock bowling started, you know, it started out as like this weekend in Vegas with a bunch of bands. Then, then it, you know, has devolved into this giant, huge thing that if you look at the lineup, you're like, well, these are, these are very specific bands, yeah. you know, like when, when all played yeah, and they got, um, Dave Smalley, Chad Price, Scott Reynolds, all, and they did all the songs. Like yeah. they played for like three hours, you know, which is awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. You know, um, if you're my wife, uh, <laughs> If you're me, you're like, ah, is the sentence playing yet? Uh, um, but For all. All never got anyone's respect. I, it, all was always the, 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 the record the record label had to put out to get a Descendants I, I have a handful of friends who love all. I think Ben yeah. from Converge likes all more than the Descendants. Oh, really? So, yes. so does Trish. Trish yeah. is crazy There's Some people are just like, yeah. like, I was like, I don't know. Actually, no, we, she doesn't. Descendants are her favorite band. I was playing in a band with Ben, and he was like playing some all stuff, and I was like, oh, I never really listened to them. I love the Descendants. He's like, really? Oh, they're the best. They're better. And I was like, really? Yeah. And then like the next practice, he's like, like I made you this mix, like my favorite all song. Like I feel like they want to like convert people to it, it, literally it's the church of all. Yeah, all so logistics, funny. right? All yeah. logistics. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so who's next? Who's next year? We don't know yet. We're 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 You're scheming a liar. right now. We're, no, I know. No, we honestly we don't. We we it it. it Putting that event on nearly killed me personally. Like it was exhausting. Um, and so we finished it up. We wrapped everything up. We said, all right, let's just take the holidays. Let's just take everything to chill out. And then in January, we're going to regroup and figure out when, when and if we do another one. So, well, yeah. um, I think it's awesome yeah. that what, what you're doing because the conventions are madness and yeah. it is hard. And it, it was very unfortunate in San Diego. I'm sure you saw that all these people wanted to see the cast of Firefly. Yep. So you can go in the convention hall and you can hang out. But that meant that all the seats were taken so that the kids who wanted to come in for the Legend of Korra, you know, Avatar, Last Airbender panel, they couldn't go in because yep. it was too packed, which is great because it's popular, but it's hard, you know, for that fan base. They're not going to shuttle people out. So this and, is- and the problem also is that you, that example you just gave is nothing to do with comics. And like that's our whole thing is that well, this, the comics, this, the comic fan in San Diego is is like shuffled off to the side. Well, that's why Baltimore is just yeah. comics, right? Yeah, Baltimore is just there's just a couple comics. shows that are just comics. Just Baltimore comics. is just comics. Emerald City in Seattle isn't just comics, but they handle it really well. Mm-hmm. Like they they kind of separate the two, and you know, because as a comic fan in San Diego, I feel like it's just like all right, well, we've got our little section, and and you know, and that's it. And and the programming really wasn't very uh, complimentary to comic mm-hmm. fans, and it just home all the stuff that goes on, all these politics and stuff like that goes on to well, it. Well, sounds and, like Sundance to slam dance and it yeah. sounds like maybe there'll be 
a separate yeah. thing. It, the thing about comics is that if, if, you're, if you're a fan of comics, you usually a fan of comics and you're peripherally involved in other things. San Diego and the conventions have taken the comics and expounded upon it yeah. to be inclusive of, inclusive of everything. It's just fandom, fandom. Yeah, yeah. which is awesome yeah you know which is yeah. which is great but if you're strictly comics right. you know like like it, it does get hard and and that's the thing is that like it, i always say any comic fan needs to go to san diego once because it's like go, it's like the super bowl it's like it's 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 the event it's the it's yeah. the mecca whatever and our ticket wasn't cheap i mean like uh, like what we did was we bundled the hotel room with the ticket to the event so for one person to go to get one hotel room was seven hundred dollars which a lot of people balked at the ticket price, but they were one of 500 people, and we we had the nightclub in, in the Hard Rock Hotel in Vegas for two nights, and Grant and Gerard performed the first night, and comic creators were dancing, and and you could buy your you could buy Jason Aaron a beer, and it was just like this great kind of mingling kind of thing, and I was worried that the people who went would be like, oh, it wasn't worth the money, but like by that last Sunday, I couldn't talk to the to the attendees about the event because they were coming to me and gushing about how great of a time they were. I was getting all teary-eyed because it was like they were just so emotional. Like we had couples get together, people got tattoos. Like it was just like every wish you could ever have for like putting on an event, like everyone had a good time. Not a single person complained or said it wasn't worth the money. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we definitely, it was a moment in time and I feel like we got to do it again. We just got to figure out how to keep the magic going, you know? So. I, it's, it sounds, you know, each artist... Um, writer, you know, is very specific. They have their fan base, yep. you know. So I'm sure this is already in your wheelhouse, but you could do one with Ennis, you know, in a yeah. hot second. You yeah, know? or Gaiman, or yeah. yeah or, and if yeah. you can get Ellis to get on a plane, yep, exactly. You yeah. can do it. Well, the great thing, the great thing, what you've what you've got is you've got both right the creators having their wheelhouse in terms of genre. So, like somebody like a Neil Gaiman kind of gets the fantasy kind of you know the 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 you know new agey kind of you know that sort of thing. Somebody like Ellis gets more kind of science fictiony or kind of you know that sort of thing. But also they have clicks of other creators that they work with and are friends with and that's a part of it is it like so so like with grant morrison we had you know frank quietly chris burnham jh williams these guys that he's collaborated with and he just wanted to hang out with our weekend you know this is how you're feeling how i feel when you and jeff rickley talked about bands <laughs> oh yeah we we're talking about like gravity record bands when oh, jeff nice. was on here and, <laughs> yeah but um yeah, no, frank quietly's art is ridiculous it's so good i mean i, I got to tell Grant Morrison that like We Three is one of the best yeah. comics. Yeah. Well, I told the, the the second time we interviewed Grant for iFanboy, I told him I totally geeked out. I told him how Kill Your Boyfriend like changed my life. Like I read that book like when I was seventeen. I was like, oh, you mean there are comics n- not about superheroes? Like it totally. Yeah. yeah. It was just great. When you when you if you you know grew up with capes. Yeah. You know, and you make that shift, you still stay where you are. You know. Yeah. But I mean, his 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 thing I like about Grant Morrison is he's. He falls into that. He's an artist like Shakespeare. I'm not comparing Grant Morrison to Shakespeare, but it's that Shakespeare has a lot of shit. Yeah, he's got more crap than he does great plays, and I've read most of them. And that, and he's very comfortable with that. Like, you can't. I'm not a fan of Seven Soldiers of Victory. I'm like, and I'm out. You know, right. it's it's a hard thing to read. But I know dudes that swear by that. Yeah, they love, love it. Love it. You know. Yeah, yeah. But All Star Superman is ridiculously good. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah, no, I hate Superman. I'm not a Superman fan at all, but mm-hmm. I have the absolute version of that book because it's amazing. And what what quietly did on that book and the art was was just stellar. It's mm-hmm. hard to find negative connotation towards Superman. You know what I mean? It's hard to be. Oh, like, I hate Superman. Superman's awful. Yeah, you know. I mean, cause Superman, Superman sucks because it's it's. I can't relate. You to You just it. don't like immigrants. Oh well, yeah, no, no, <laughs> but um, no, because you can't relate to it. I mean, that's the thing. that's what that's why. I mean, like there are Marvel and DC kids. You know, mm-hmm. like what you know, you grow up Marvel, grow up DC. DC very much um, is very primary colors very black and white and very kind of archetypes you know the 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 like for example the justice league of america when grant was writing it there were seven members of the team and they were each one directly tied to different greek gods you know and there there are these archetypes you know god of war god of knowledge god of you know whatever and and whoever you know aquaman was poseidon superman was zeus you know etc and that it kind of does that mapping but over I think a Mar- it would have been Captain Marvel, right? Yeah, true. But um, 
but you, you cross the street and go over to Marvel and it's much more grounded. It's, you know, Spider-Man worrying about making rent. It's Kitty Pride worrying about whether or not Colossus likes her or not. And it's all very, it's very emo, very kind of, you know. And so for me, I was like, well, that's what I like because this is like the same problems I have except they've got powers and they fight sometimes. And so mm-hmm. that's why I, I always gravitated more towards Marvel because I can't relate to Superman. The dude, dude can do anything. You but know, then when like, Vertigo came out, yeah, like that—that that probably was a big moment for you. No, actually, I was—I wasn't—I'm not—I wasn't into this day. Still not a big Vertigo fan. Really? I well, mean, not Preacher, anymore, especially not now. It's done. Yeah. Well, yeah. But um, uh, Preacher is the best thing I th- that I've read of Vertigo. Really? You ever yeah. read Sandman? Uh, no, I did read Sandman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I listened to The Cure while I read it, and I, I put <laughs> put eyeshadow on and wore a trench coat. No, I mean it's like a little too gothy for me. A little mm-hmm. too, you know, like I'm not one for fairies and wizards and and all that sort of it's, stuff. It's 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 a hard it's a yeah. it's a hard nerdy one to get into i mean from a craft standpoint it's brilliant i mean i can i can understand gaiman's is a great writer and the artists he worked with did a great job and all stuff so i can respect it on that level it's just the the subject matter just it's not not, not your thing yeah, yeah. not my well, thing preachers ridic- have you read preacher i have yeah, yeah. i mean preacher's yes. just ridiculous but i can't i can't get behind personally ennis's world war ii thing it just doesn't do oh but he's the me. best at have, you, have you read any of the battlefield stuff yeah a bunch done? of yeah, it and yeah, I just, it's so just, good no. but again it's, it doesn't speak to me yeah. it's not my he's not doing my a series thing. now for marvel called fury uh, uh fury max yeah and it's all these stories of nick it's fury the second max fury yeah done. yeah and this one is nick fury uh in korea and in vietnam and they're just they're just mind-blowingly good like yeah yeah yeah, Rod, exactly. what would you recommend maybe steven has kind of been my comic guru yeah um but would you recommend uh-huh. maybe for people who are maybe listening to this conversation who aren't into comics at all or maybe kind of our age i mean what would you recommend kind of as a good gateway well what i always do is i always use i always use what tv shows they watch what kind of and i look for genres so you know so if someone was into like i say si- someone's into science fiction they like firefly or whatever then absolutely saga or the uh, remender's book that i mentioned fear agent which is like pulpy kind of science fiction if somebody really likes you know kind of crime or you know kind of noirish kind of stories you know uh, ed brubaker's criminal is great God, so um right? fatal is good yeah fatal yeah um yeah. that's very pulpy um yeah. if somebody's into like homeland like everybody seems to love that show right. there's a comic called queen of country by a guy named greg rocca that is that is about good. like mi5 agents and you're a you know, whiteout they made a terrible movie about yeah it was unfortunate <laughs> um but so you know like the, the, so what i try to do is i try to match up what their interests are to a book that i know that is out there what if they say i like ncis and real housewives <laughs> well then i just can't do anything that, that <laughs> right. lateral one just kills it why my do, wife doesn't do you oh. see uh do you see comics going into more of like completely tablet world eventually kind of because that seems to be the trend in print but also comics are kind of a different beast because they are so kind of graphic well I guess. I, the thing is is that i mean and and Yes and no, because I think I never want to see the print format of comics go away because there's something, and going back to what we said about zines, there's something visceral about holding a thing and holding something. Um, but it's just, you know, I have 50 long boxes of issues in my apartment. Like, I have no closet space because they're all filled with comics. So at some point, it's got to give. And so if I can keep store that digitally and go back and read the old stuff, you know, on a tablet totally awesome it's a different experience um but i think the world's got to evolve to a point where the issue gets replaced with a digital and then what happens is that you read like four or five issues digitally and then you can get a nice hardcover or a nice paperback version of that collection i think that's kind of the way it's going so maybe a tab waiter yeah yeah exactly but um uh, but I think it's going to follow similar to what happened to records with vinyl, where it's like, you know, it's like I'm buying as many records now. Well, as I, I, read, did, I read an article know. about print and someone said that they long swore that, you know, didn't care with the tablet, but with the retina display, yeah. that it really changed the way they look at print. And I've got a number of books made for an iPad, like um, uh, Richard Dawkins' book that Dave McKean yeah. did the artwork for that's you don't it doesn't turn pages you know it just kind of slides yeah you know and so I think that's going to change the way the artwork is and coming and I'm not I'm with you I like to hold something I'm just yeah. but I'm you know I'm born in the 70s so I grew up that way my children however we're all born you know, in the 70s I think yeah. are we all yeah, yeah right on. 77 yeah 79 well, those don't count <laughs> 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 um uh 
uh, my kids, you know, who, you know, know that the thing I'm talking to my wife on is also has Elmo on it, you know, yeah. as a video and they can look at. Oh, well, the next generation is, I, I don't know. They're going to be much more comfortable exactly. growing up with it. Yeah. You know, but then, but then they're going to look at these books as a novelty and like the idea that you get, you get a nice hardcover, oversized, beautiful art. You can't, that you can't not have a visceral reaction to that. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't seen any success on people designing comics for tablets. Like you kind of mentioned yeah. where the movement, because the authoring and the, the coding and is so intensive and so involved it's not to the point where it's um it's it's got to be it's got to be as dumb easy as photocopying what do you think of motion comics because i can't get behind it no they're just animation okay yeah it's not even doesn't seem like good animation they just take the comic and they make they they make like wolverine in the in the panel like you know the claws come out you see them come out but in the comic it's just go to the next panel you know it's like wolverine just slides across the background it's just yeah i just i just everyone people are like oh the astonishing whedon's astonishing x-men motion comics are great no no i don't no, it just it just it's the it's the worst part of comics and the worst part of animation. Yeah, it's just, yeah. So it's like an animatic. Yeah, it totally is. But yeah, no. I mean, the thing is, I I think what boils down to is got to be good stories and good artwork, and that that's what will make it go. You know, that's what will make it work. All you, the gimmicks, all the gimmicks that we saw in music didn't work going to the digital age and all that sort of stuff. It just it's got to be good songs, and that's that. It doesn't matter how you get it. So that's kind of how I look at it. The quality will win out. Ron, he knew Jonah way back when, but he never saw the Whatever Dudes. I don't think he, I, he had left by the time the WD started performing and touring. So you can look up the Whatever Dudes on YouTube and see you, right? Yes. Um, I also recently wrote an article for the new MySpace uh, where I'm writing about hip hop, and then I'm like, I'm qualified to write about this, and I included a video where <laughs> me from uh, like 10 years ago where we're doing a show, and I'm like, Fuck Dr. Dre, fuck Snoop Dogg, fuck all that fake hip hop. Uh, you're just gonna be, you're not rapping, you're rapping presents for the whatever dudes. And then, like, we talk about how we're improvised and they write their rhymes, and uh, it's pretty funny. Wow. I talked a lot of shit. Starting uh, beef. Yeah, I was also wearing snow pants on stage, and we had a clock where all the numbers were just at the bottom, and it just said whatever. And we called it the whatever <laughs> clock, and the other guy, Nick, used to wear it around his neck. So, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> also cool is our Facebook page. Yes, also cool. It's like an, it. It's not really that cool. I mean, it's a great banner, I think. It's a good photo. Yeah, the photo is good. I mean, Facebook in general. Our page is awesome. Why am I making fun of Facebook? What do I care? Yeah, we should. Yeah, let's not be so self-deprecating. I mean, Facebook is what it is, but our page is fine for what That's it good. could be. And people are. Re- <laughs> it's yeah. exactly what it should be. I think that's exactly how it should go. But our website is killer. Poetry. The website is really good. You guys really- just speak pure prose. I just. It is all beautiful. prose. <laughs> Later, it's going to be all verse. We learned that in a podcast about iambic pentameter. Do we need a refresher? You're we, a what? We don't. We'll see you next week.